0: Blockchain technology has developed so quickly that many don't understand the law when it comes to the new cryptocurrencies. If you fight the law... The law wins, so it's probably a good idea to have an understanding. You don't want to be wearing an orange jumpsuit. Today, we welcome John Wagster, a.k.a. Wags, to the show to discuss some of the legal issues surrounding blockchain. And our own bad crypto correspondent, Rachel Wolfson, speaks with Rand Hindi, the CEO of Snips. They are the first decentralized private by design voice assistant. Useful information delivered with a healthy helping of chortles and Snickers. The laugh, not the delicious candy bar. Welcome to episode number 191 of the Bad Crypto Podcast.
1: Five, four, three, two, one, Who's
0: bad? I fought the law and the... Law one, you don't want to fight the law if you're doing blockchain.
2: Uh, But we are going to interview some people who do law, blockchain-y stuff.
0: We are, yeah. Wagster, Wags, is going to be with us on the show today. We actually interviewed him at the Health Further conference in Nashville here just uh, last month. And we've been waiting for just the right time to unleash Wags on y'all.
2: That's true. I was, you know, it was that health further was a great event over there, but I was thinking they need to have another health conference and call it what the health
0: (laughs) or health. Not so far. (laughs) That's good. Welcome to the bad crypto podcast show for the crypto curious crypto serious. We're actually recording trans hemisphere today. That doesn't mean the hemisphere changed. <laughs> Trans hemisphere.
2: I'm not Western. I'm Eastern. <laughs> I identify as an Eastern hemisphere. Joel
0: uh, Travis is in Kiev at the moment, getting ready to uh, tour Chernobyl and speak in an event that I was actually invited to, but then he got invited, but I'm not there. He is.
2: I was actually invited also. But what's funny is that I, that email was, I never saw that emails from literally like August. And I was like, how mm-hmm. did I never see this email? But yeah, so uh, I you're, don't care. You're
0: there. I'm here. And, and okay. shortly, I will be near there. I'm going to Moscow to speak as a keynote at a social media event in Moscow. I will be talking to a lot of our friends in Russia and wow. hacking their vote. Yeah. I'm going, to the hack. Show.
2: I'm going to hack the stage. That's so good. You are going to go up there, and you're just going to be – you know what? Most of your jokes are hack, so that's good. I mean, it's fitting right yeah. in, bro.
0: So they're bad dad jokes.
2: hmm yeah. So good.
0: Our, our, I told one the other day, and uh, our producer, Aaron, laughed and said, oh, bad dad jokes. I said, but you laughed. And that's the point. You thought it was funny. Mm-hmm. But you do not. That's okay. So we're glad you guys are here. Welcome to the show. We've got two interviews for you today. We're going to play the interview we did with WAGS. And then Rachel Wilson has been hot on the trail of blockchain leaders. And she secured an interview with Rand Hindi and Rand is doing some cool stuff. He's the CEO at a company called Snips. And they have created a decentralized voice assistant.
2: Uh, that's one thing I love about having the, the crypto correspondents is they're out there interviewing cool people out on the road. I mean, Rachel and Sarah are on the road all the time, and they're always talking to awesome people. And every once in a while, they will interview one of those awesome folks for Bad Crypto. And uh, you guys are blessed to hear that this episode here.
0: Yeah, and I think we're welcoming and onboarding two more bad crypto correspondents that are friends of the show who you guys have heard from before. I don't think I'm going to say who it is yet. We're just going to put a little teaser out there, a little cliffhanger, just hang from the cliff. While uh, we prepare for this, and I think in either by the end of this month or in November, we should have some segments from some more of these people that are out there in the field and uh, doing some real cool leadership and in connecting with leaders in the space.
2: Mm-hmm. I love it. A lot of great stuff happening here in the blockchain. And uh, so, what do you what do you say, Mister Joel Combs? Should we just jump on in?
0: Boom. Mister Travis Wright. I think it's been about a month or so since we've had an attorney on the show. And and that means it's been a month without lawyer jokes.
2: It's true. As I always like to say, the world needs more attorneys. <laughs> I'll
0: second that. Thank you. Oh, Speaking of attorneys, we actually have one with us right here. His name is John S. Wagster. He is an attorney at law with Frost, Brown, and Todd Attorneys. Website- is it Wagster? It is.
2: That is That sounds like a nickname in itself.
1: Yeah. Always oh, it sounded, sounded like a line. Yo,
2: Wagster. What's up, brother?
1: What's up, okay. Wag? I'll take it. Hey, Wags, we're going out partying. Yeah, night, dude. Yeah.
0: Were you in a frat? I, of course I was. Of course he was. And His name's Wags. And the nickname was Wags. <laughs> you can't escape it. Yeah, you can't. Okay, so. Of course
2: I was, he said.
0: Why would you want to? It's such a, it's such a great name. We are um actually in Nashville for this recording at the Tokenizing Health pre-party. And we're outside on the the fourth floor balcony of Valen- the valentine Yep, and
1: it's like we're
2: really close to uh the, I think the third degree of hell we're really close <laughs> it's like about 182 <clears throat> degrees out here celsius
1: yeah so but but welcome to nashville
0: gentlemen uh we appreciate it we're glad we're here <laughs> music city uh, so tell us about your journey down the crypto rabbit hole
1: so uh, we started my firm started doing um blockchain based work really not crypto work but blockchain based work in 2013 when uh, you know bitcoin started in 2008 and i came from the technology side i worked in software development companies and uh, we appreciated the the value of blockchain technology not necessarily bitcoin but the technology behind it and i was doing a lot of research on that and my firm also had a an arm that did electronic payments and the electronic payments business and guys and I got together and decided you know this is there ought to be a future in payments through blockchain uh and bef- as our ideas were maturing uh crypto took off in 2016 we had a couple of clients uh, marketing clients etc and uh, that evolved into cryptocurrency clients and ICOs and token generation events and we haven't looked back
2: it's kind of a it's it's a it's a very interesting space that we're in this whole crypto world and i have to say Good job to you to being so prescient to understand that in 2013. That's kind of an early, early stage in the game there. Uh, I'm going to
0: give you one point for the word prescient, by the way. Do you like that? I do. It's
2: a lawyer word. Was it a lawyer word? Yeah. Very good. Educated. Is that another one? Should we say that one again?
0: What was the one that we had? uh, What was that
2: one? Adjudicated or
0: something? Adjudicated. Adjudicated. (laughs) (laughs) Adjudicated. You need to get an education. I need to get
1: agitated. I need a flag to throw. Yeah,
2: that's good. So so starting in two thousand thirteen, so what you know, so you've been working with some interesting projects. What what are some of the types of projects that you've been working with on the blockchain, or maybe what are some cool solutions that you've seen in industries that projects that you're working with that are using blockchain?
1: So that's a lot of there's a number of questions in there. First off, I have to say, Great better lucky than stress. smart. I mean, you, you know, you can. In 2013, we had no idea that there were going to be a, a token economy and that ICOs were going to take off like this. So we were present at the beginning and we put our hats in the ring and we grew with it. So that, we're at least half lucky. Uh, as so far you as podcasts. Uh,
2: you did not have the prescience to uh, create a podcast, though. No,
1: we didn't. <laughs> we're not nearly as bad as you guys are. That's true. You're are. way we're better. Yeah. Could we, had we thought ahead? So, yeah. The projects, all ICOs are different. You know, ICOs, token generation events, call them what you will. Um, They're all different, and we see really unique things. You know, we're talking about healthcare, ICOs in healthcare now. We represent several providers um, that have really unique end-to-end solutions. Uh, The thing about crypto and blockchain is that we're in its infancy, right? So there 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 are literally a handful of viable applications that are working right now, a handful in the world. Uh, so we're talking more about potential than we are about reality it's a scam
0: it's a sham it's all a flim-flam icos are, are all scams that's it, what people some people say even
1: if it's a scam uh, the money's real the, mm, the money's real and that's quotable right so there, there are a lot yeah, of
2: we should put that on a social uh, image
1: there are a lot there's a lot of money being raised and regardless of you know what we end up doing with the technology we've learned that cryptocurrency Doing token generation events or ICOs is an easier way to raise money.
0: So who's going to jail? That's what I want to know. And all this kind of, you know, system, I'm not looking for names. I'm looking for, like, what kind of activities are taking place in the
1: crypto space.
2: You'd be in jail.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So as a rule, the guys that are talking to us, the guys and the girls that are using lawyers are not going to jail. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of gray area out there. And we can fight and we can talk about what the rules are going to be and what they're not. Right now, there's unknowns in gray area, but if you have a decent law firm uh, and you understand the tokenomics of what you're offering, you're not going to go to jail. You're going to do things right, so you're gonna, they're going to keep you between the lines. And, you know, if the SEC comes in and makes rulings that are adverse to what people are doing now, they're extremely unlikely to go in and unwind the clock and attribute fraud to your actions if there's no fraud there. Be
0: connect. That's a different type of case, though, right?
1: Well, the fact is, you know, the SEC is talking down the market and they're talking about how tough it is. All these, you know, these things look like securities. They might be securities. They might should be regulated. And it's and it's having the desired effect.
2: What about what about the the CFTC? Just I read I read a thing. Uh, it sent to me in an email from a, a law firm, lawoftheledger.com. And it was talking about how the it, it has been awarded that the CFTC can now um, rule over crypto as if it's commodities. Did you hear that?
1: Uh, well, that's not new news. Okay. It's old news. The CFTC is taking exercise jurisdiction. FinCEN, the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, has exercised yep. jurisdiction. The SEC has exercised jurisdiction. And they all have a legitimate hand, a legitimate finger in the pie.
2: So how many hands are going to be in this damn thing?
1: Wags? Well, well, what's important is that there are laws that prevent them from going in at the same time.
2: Ah, okay. But, so but doesn't, if the CFTC
1: exercises jurisdiction, so, they won't do that if this It's so tonight. crazy.
2: Like, oh, no, this is a security. No, it's a commodity. No, it's a property. So where do you see the industry heading? Because here we are, 2018, it's August. You know, last November, we were sitting at the crypto market at $250 billion. Now it's at 100, $220 billion, you know. The market is changing. We had this huge explosion in ICOs, and you know, tokens what, went everywhere. Tokens, and tokens are all over the place. We've had all these token generation events. Where is when is the market going to kind of settle down? And when wh- where do you see this heading over the next twelve to maybe
0: maybe to the end of two thousand nineteen? All right. So that was a sixty-second question. All he wanted to say was when Lambo, when Moon.
1: Yeah. When the hell are we going to see our cryptos grow? So the market is already settled. Obviously, I mean, there's been a lot more crypto sold this year than there was last year, but it's in much bigger deals. You know, you get billion dollar deals with Telegram and things like that to say, excuse the figures. But ICOs are coming out, if not every day, every week. The quality ICOs we're seeing is a lot better. Uh, There was a whole lot of, you know, speaking generously, crap coins that came out last year. They didn't have counsel. You know, they were just putting it out there. If you put blockchain on anything, people were buying it.
2: Blockchain in a white paper, blockchain Blockchain.
1: iced tea. Uh, (laughs) And those days are over. And now, you know, These silly investors are looking for things like, you know, a business plan and ROI and, you know, now private equity wants in and institutional investors are a little bit getting more interested. But they're going to look at traditional style business plans. So that's what we're seeing in ICOs today.
0: But but I think part of the question is there, what's it going to take to what's that watershed moment, as our friend Ronnie Moas likes to say, you know, the Netscape moment, the browser arrived and all of a sudden people flooded to the web. What's it going to take? In the regulation
1: land, mm-hmm. for this to happen—that was a great question, Mr. Joachim. Yeah, Thank so you. I don't anticipate a single moment like that. Uh, I think Two we'll see—we'll see some milestones. For example, if the CFTC had approved the Winklevii plan of, you know, having a derivatives-traded commodity out of Bitcoin, that would have given the market a boost. It didn't happen, so the market took a dive. If not a dive, it continued on its slowly descending trend. Uh, I think this September they're going to look at it again. If they approve it, that'll be a boost to the market. Uh, But I'm not looking for a single bellwether to determine what the market does. I'm looking at individual projects because ultimately ICOs are going to rise and fall on the individual nature of the project. Some of them are really good and they're smart and others are really stupid and they're just trying to raise money uh, by calling something a token on a blockchain and that just doesn't make sense. So
2: Wags, you mentioned you guys are working with about 60 different blockchain projects. And we between Joel and I here on Bad Crypto, we've interviewed, I think, I think the number is over 180, um, you know, ICOs and different blockchain projects. So what is it that you look for specifically? How do you guys go through and say, eh, this one looks like a winner? What are, what are some of those sort of bullet points that you guys look for when
1: you're looking at these projects? So an early criteria is, do you need a token to do what you're trying to do? And if you don't need a token, doesn't mean you can't, use it to raise money. Uh, It's an alternative way of raising money. But if you don't need a token, it's probably not compelling. Number two is, are all the parties in your transaction incented to use that token? So do you have a buyer, a seller, a merchant, a provider? Anybody who touches that token needs to have a reason to touch it. And it needs to be compelling. Otherwise, you don't really need that token. Maybe that's that's two different ways of saying the same thing. Token toucher. So those are the, the two essential factors, you know, is are there economic driving forces that compel you to use this token? And does it give the users of the token a competitive advantage that they don't have now? So what is that
0: token, though? Right. Uh, the, we're, we're not sure what they're calling these things. So the the ICOs themselves say, well, it's a utility token. And but then you've got the SEC saying, well, they might be securities and they're only good within the ecosystem that they're traded, what the heck are they?
1: The only reason people are surrounding this definition of a utility token is that means, by definition, that they're not governed by the Securities and Exchange Commission. That They fall outside the purview of the SEC. And so the SEC is taking the position that most tokens probably are security tokens because that gives them the largest reach. The fact is, each token is different. If token actually has a utility and it passes the four-prong Howey test, It's a utility token. It can be traded, uh, you know, among regular investors. You don't have to be accredited and you avoid a lot of scrutiny you're going to have otherwise. If it is a security token, whether it's actually an equity token or not. And when you talk about, you know, security tokens or STO security token offerings, most people are talking there about actually tokenizing the equity in a business. So if I own fifty percent of a business and we tokenize it, I have a token that represents that fifty percent, right? And or a real estate deal. And let's you know.
2: talk about that a little bit because
1: Woz had just
2: mentioned uh, this past week. He said he's looking at getting into a blockchain project for the first time, and it's interesting because they're actually taking some of the equity in the company and they're converting that into a token. So is that more so? And I, and it seems to me that that's kind of what's going to happen with this whole, you know, um, it's going to be tokens are going to become part equity, like. If I'm buying Apple, if I'm buying an Apple computer or whatever, I want to buy Apple stock. I can buy tokens in Apple, right? It's like it would, it would be a whole lot better because then I then it, the consumer interest in that. It's like I'm investing and in buy I love Apple. I got Apple tokens and I bought Apple MacBook, right? It's like there's a win there. Right now in the stock market, it's not like that. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it, a lot of times people bike buy, buy a, you know, 2003 you bought a macbook for three thousand dollars but if you had instead bought apple stock you'd have been way better off right and so are we looking at is that is that what's going to happen in the future in your it is a
1: wave uh, i'm not going to say it's the defining trend of the future but that's definitely going on now people are tokenizing equity uh it comes in the form of for example a real estate investment trust if you want to invest in uh you know property in nashville you can either go to your Register of Deeds office and go through all the legal wranglings and the in the title searches that you have to do. If it's tokenized and you can see through the documentation that this token represents a portion of ownership, it's much more liquid. You could buy and sell it and trade it a lot easier. There can be derivative markets behind it, not derivative markets, but, you know, markets that are not tied into uh, you don't have to do uh, the regular real estate closings now that you have and it'd be much more efficient. So and and that's absolutely a thing. And we're seeing a lot more of that. How much
0: time do you spend when you get a new client and they come to you and you look at their plan and you go, oh, my gosh, don't do that. You know, straightening out their their wrong thinking or wrong approach.
1: Well, We're very delicate in our language, but we have a lot of ways of saying that's not the way we would do it. Or, you know, you maybe you should idiot. consider other options. Yeah. Do you want or, to go to
0: jail? Yeah. You don't do that. You don't look good in orange Get out of here with this crap. What is this?
1: Oh. <laughs> with all our clients? We talk about rule number one and rule number one is nobody goes to jail. And so anytime and, you know, clients can do what they want to do and they don't have to make the best decisions and they don't always follow our advice. And that's up to them. They don't have to. But when rule number one is involved, we tell them and we say, hey, this is rule number one. You don't do this. Everything else. If they want, they're entitled to make bad decisions. If they want to.
0: Going back to what you said earlier, you think when the regulation finally doesn't finally does come down, that they're probably not going to retroactive this stuff. They're going to set some policies, and people that might have otherwise gotten in trouble, maybe not as likely to, because there's just too much to what pursue or what.
1: Yeah, no, I don't think of it that way. I think of it as that the SEC has been, you know, they've been making a lot of noise and they've been talking down the market. If you remember in the. You're old enough to remember the irrational exuberance of the tech era, right? When I, Alan remember. Greenspan I, was, talked, I said, was part
0: of the, the irrational <laughs> exuberance.
1: As was I. And Alan Greenspan stood up and said, you know, there's irrational exuberance in the market. There's no reason for these stocks to be so high. And the market immediately went down. And that's what the SEC is doing. They're not saying these are illegal. They're saying, hey, these don't. These might not look right. They might not be kosher. And everybody's backing away. But what the SEC is actually doing is great. They're going after fraudulent hucksters. They're going after people, you know, take money from widows and orphans. You should expect them to come. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the only way they have to find out what's going on in this market is to issue these informational subpoenas to to clients and law firms and find out how we're doing these deals so they can determine the best way to deal with them.
0: I think we need to probably ditch the idea for the widow and orphan coin that you came up with. That's now, true. that's probably not going to be coin. That yeah. was such
2: a great idea, though, like, oh, you just comb the obituaries and find out people who died and then right. tokenize the dead spouse. It's really oh, my gosh. It's, yeah. I love that.
1: So we tell our clients now, you should expect the SEC to be reading everything you write, every white paper, every version of it. We expect it, and we read it with that in mind. <laughs> and if there's something in there that might be objectionable, then take it out. And if you don't want to take it out, okay, then you understand the risk of putting something objectionable in there and seeing what happens.
2: You know, one of my questions is about, you know, because here we are, you know, two hundred and twenty billion dollar market cap. There's one one point something quadrillion dollars in the world. More and more of this stuff's going to become tokenized and become digital money, right? Like, so so maybe what what is your sort of thoughts over the next few years? Like, I mean, I, I thought personally this year we were going to hit a trillion dollar market cap in crypto. It doesn't look like it's going to happen because the market sort of tanked. You know, so what is your prognosis over the next couple of years or a few years? It's because it seems to me that more and more of this real estate is going to be tokenized and all these different real world assets are going to be tokenized and gold's tokenized and all this other stuff. So the market cap should be growing much larger.
0: So that's another 60 second question. And all Travis is really asking is when Lambo, when Moon? Are you my translator now? The <laughs> well, Travis you have, you're, you're asking him when is no, it going to take I just want to know what is what is his
2: <laughs> thoughts on how how the market's going to grow like. It's it's interesting. When 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 Moon,
1: moon, damn it, Wax. I separate the growth in the crypto market in two phases. You have ICOs and token generation events, and then you have tokenizing equity. Tokenizing equity doesn't have to be a coin. No, it could just be tokenized. You can call it a coin if you want to, if that makes it sexy or you think you can sell it better, that's fine. But that's an administrative transaction that's just more efficient than having to, you know, file documents every time you do something. You can tokenize it and build smart contracts into the division of equity and you can trade it among people. Now, that's going to require a lot more governance rules and things. You know, law firms are going to be busy figuring out how do you, you know, how do you manage these governance rights in there? Uh, But that's one side. The other side is tokens themselves, which we've been talking about, cryptocurrencies. I think cryptocurrencies, uh, I don't know if they're here to stay. But they're an important part of the market, and they're an important part of the evolution of blockchain right now. And so we're getting a lot of technological developments that we wouldn't have otherwise. Uh, People are making a lot of money, not only on the coins and trading, but on those developments themselves. And we're building the infrastructure to what will ultimately be a blockchain economy.
0: I dig it. John Wagster, but his friends call him Wags. Yeah, great interview, man. Thanks so much for joining us here. Thank you, guys. Appreciate, Appreciate it. you being out here. And Welcome to Nashville. Frostbrowntodd.com. Find out about the WAG. Now
2: that sounds like a
0: law firm, doesn't it? It does.
3: Hi, it's Rachel Wolfson, and I'm here at Block Show America in Las Vegas, and I'm speaking with Rand Hindi of Snips today. Hi, Rand. How are you doing?
4: Hi, Rachel. I'm good. How are you?
3: Great. Thanks. Mm -hmm. So tell us a little bit about your thoughts on privacy, about what you're doing now with AI and all of that stuff.
4: So I've been in tech since I was a kid. Uh, I started coding when I was 10, created my first tech company at 14. That was back in 1999. It was a social network. And at the time, I remember that it felt really wrong that I could just like snoop in the database and see the messages people would send each other. And so this idea of data privacy has been in my mind since the late 90s, effectively. Uh, After that, I went to study computer science and ended up doing a PhD in artificial intelligence. And at that point, it was 15 years ago, it was very clear to me that Privacy was going to become one of the major challenges around artificial intelligence because the more AI there is around us, the more data we need to actually feed it. And looking at the ways that companies have been using personal data, I think it has been completely wrong. Um, for the past five years, I've been running one of the largest AI companies in France called Snips. Uh, we've raised over twenty-two million. Seventy of us now between Paris and New York, and our focus has really been to bring privacy to artificial intelligence, creating machine learning technologies where nobody never knows anything about you but yourself.
3: Right. And so what are you doing with blockchain
4: and all of that? So as part of that, actually, let me ask you a question first. Do you own a voice assistant, something like Alexa? I don't. Why not?
3: You know, honestly, I, I'm not high-tech enough. No, I just don't think I would use it really. I haven't entered that stage in my life to be like, Alexa, turn off the lights. I mean, if I want to turn off the lights, I'll get up and turn off the lights.
4: Right. Okay, well, so it's good you're active. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, well, it turns out that one of the reason why a lot of people are not using voice assistants today is because they're a little bit concerned of, around privacy. You know, what we're really talking about here is a microphone connected to the internet that's in your living room. And that's kind of crazy when you think about it, that you would wiretap your own house effectively. And the reason why this is happening is because 20 years ago, when the big tech companies appeared, data privacy was not much of a big deal. The amount of data you produce in your daily life was fairly small. It was a few things here and there. So even if someone actually saw it or hacked it, so what? But the more data you started producing and the more digital your life became, the bigger the impact of privacy when there is a privacy breach. And today we got to this point where if someone hacks any of your accounts, your entire life is exposed and your entire life can basically be destroyed. And it's not just that. Many people think that privacy is about having nothing to hide, but it's actually about manipulation as well. What happened with Facebook is a good example. Cambridge Analytica was able to manipulate people, not because Facebook did anything wrong, but because there was so much data and such a high degree of profiling that it made it possible. The more data you give away, the better people can profile you and manipulate you. So privacy is fundamentally about protecting against mass manipulation and not just protecting against mass surveillance. So the reason why I'm coming to this is that I think that products like Alexa and other voice assistants currently in the market represent the culmination of 20 years of the wrong mindset around data privacy. And my mission is to destroy them. You know, I want to make sure that we have alternatives that doesn't actually impact our privacy, that, you know, your kids could use them safely without you having to worry about what's going to happen or if someone is listening in. So my company, Snips, we've been building voice technologies that guarantee privacy by design. And blockchain has been a very, very important part of it. The way we do it is by combining two technologies. First, when you speak to a device that has our assistant in it, the device itself would analyze your voice Mm -hmm. so that no data ever gets sent to the cloud. This means that nobody ever has access to this data, not Snips, not anybody else. But this is not enough. And very often, big companies will tell you that, You need to send them the data because then they can make it better for everybody by combining the data of everybody using the voice assistant. That is completely false. This is where the blockchain comes in. It turns out that by combining some new ways of doing machine learning, something called federated learning, which is really decentralized machine learning, with blockchain and some modern cryptography, you're able to train an AI in a completely encrypted, decentralized way such that nobody ever has access to your data, but you're still able to improve it with the data of everybody using it. And so the real question is, if you can analyze the voice on device and you can keep improving things across everybody in a decentralized encrypted way, why wouldn't every company do this? And there is only one reason for this, is because they monetize this data. That's their business. Their business is not to offer a product, is to aggregate and capture your data so that they can monetize it by better profiling you, targeting you, or doing something else with it.
3: So because they monetize data, obviously they're getting something out of that. So what do you get out of this? Do you get anything out of this? Or are you just in doing this to create a better world? You're using blockchain for good. I mean-
4: When someone wants to train its AI using our system, uh, they can actually pay users for contributing their encrypted data. So now there is an incentive for people to give data. It's not just me taking it right, and using it. I'm now paying you. And by the way, I'm not paying you for your data. I'm paying you for your encrypted data. So I still don't have any information about you by doing that. So that's the first thing. But my company, Snips, the way we make money is actually not through the blockchain. Once our product is on the blockchain, we make zero out of the Assistant itself. The way we make money is by selling our voice technology to other companies who want to put it into their own hardware devices. So our business is a B2B business. And the more successful our consumer ecosystem, the more people use the Assistant, the better the Assistant becomes, the more apps people can install in their Assistant, the more valuable our technology is for other companies who want to integrate it into their own physical devices. And so my job is to offer the best product and the best service and the most private by design alternative to Alexa so that I can then offer something equivalently powerful B2B size. So you have strong views on privacy. Can you elaborate on those views? We've been talking here a lot about privacy in the context of voice assistance, right? Because I think voice assistant is a very intrusive piece of technology. It's a microphone in your living room. Mm-hmm. But really the same type of technology, this encrypted decentralized machine learning, this, you know, on device processing could be applied to any type of artificial intelligence system, vision, healthcare data. And really here, the objective is to show mm-hmm. that The dilemma that people told us we're faced with of choosing between AI and privacy is no longer a requirement, that you can have both AI and privacy, but you need to actually rethink the business models. And a lot of the big tech companies will never be able to offer privacy because their entire business is based on monetizing this data. So if they wanted to offer a device, a product that doesn't actually require you to send them data, they would need to shift the billions of revenues. And there is no way this is going to happen. And this is why I'm so excited about blockchains, because it enables us to come not frontally competing with them, but come from an angle, an angle that they cannot compete with because that will require too many changes. And that gives us time to build a community, time to get people excited and to use it so that at some point we can tip the balance in favor of privacy. Privacy in itself is not something that people should actively look to protect. Nobody should think, oh, I need a VPN and I need to think about what I'm using. No, privacy should be guaranteed by design. And that means a company's building products need to think about ways to protect privacy in the product itself. Uh, And this is also very, very important to understand because many companies claim to offer privacy because maybe they delete your data or something, but they're actually not offering privacy. What they're doing is something called privacy by trust, mm-hmm. which is this idea that I'm sending you data as a, as a user, I'm sending a company data, the company, I'm trusting them to delete it once they've used it. But really, they're offering me no guarantee what's, no guarantees whatsoever because I have to trust them that they're doing the right thing. Privacy by design, on the other hand, which is what you know I've been talking about, You're mathematically preventing the data from being abused because the data is never accessible by the company in the first place. Mm -hmm. And that's a very, very big difference. Privacy by trust is equivalent to no privacy. Someone could still snoop in. You can have a rogue employee, a new CEO, a government asking you to give the data. Privacy by design, you can come and you can hack my servers. You will find nothing. There is no data there.
3: So in terms of security, the data is completely secured and
4: safe? The data is either not sent anywhere uh-huh. at all or completely encrypted. So if you break the encryption, well, you've broken cryptography and that I'm pretty sure you have other things to do than hack into a startup if you break, you know, private key cryptography. <laughs> right.
3: Yeah. I mean, I also think it depends on your mindset. Like a lot of these social networks like Facebook, for instance, I mean, I don't think they really care about protecting users data but you actually have the mindset where you care about privacy and you think that people should have privacy
4: well i think i think i think facebook and google i mean they all do they'll do the best they can to protect to secure your data that they have yeah what i'm saying is that the best security is zero data Mm -hmm. if i have no data on my users there's nothing for people to steal or hack Mm -hmm. There's just no data whatsoever. Like you, it's just more secure by definition because there is no single point of failure where someone could go and access all of this data. But it's such a different mindset because you really need to think about data no longer as a valuable asset, but more as a as a tool mm-hmm. to build a better product. Right. And so blockchain and this whole ecosystem is not a technology that makes it private. It's a technology. Mm-hmm that makes it work in terms of incentivizing people to contribute data, to process the data and keeping everybody honest in the process. Right. So blockchain is really the glue between all of those pieces that have been around for years, but nobody really used them because nobody figured why would anybody participate. Mm-hmm. And that is for me, one of the biggest thing. The reason why I got into blockchain is not because of cryptocurrencies, it's really because of this idea that you can create self-governed communities mm-hmm. That are behaving in a way that is beneficial to themselves, DAOs effectively.
3: Right. So, can you tell us a little bit about the consumer product and how that works? Because I'm sure people listening have an Alexa and they're thinking, like, oh, you know, he's making great points and Alexa's stealing all my data, this and that. So, tell us a little bit about the consumer
4: product. So, our voice assistant has been around for some time. We sell it to other companies already today. Uh, As a matter of fact, we already launched an entire developer ecosystem so that people could start building using our voice technology. Uh, We have over 14,000 developers today using our platform, which makes us one of the largest community of voice developers outside of Amazon and Google. Uh, Those developers can already deploy their apps that they built for Snips on a developer app store, which already has a token that they can use to actually exchange things between themselves. We even created a hardware developer kit so that they could deploy their voice assistant on a hardware device, which is kind of like a DIY smart speaker. So the developer ecosystem is already building the use cases that future consumers will be able to use. And we're now working on our own hardware device that we're going to be launching next year called Snips Air. And this is really essentially a decentralized private by design voice assistant. Think of it as an Alexa that knows nothing about you, but is still able to offer the same type of interaction, the same degree of understanding, without any risk on your privacy or your kid's privacy. Uh, and so, the way we do this is by combining this on-device voice processing, this decentralized encrypted machine learning, and offering now uh, a hardware device that people can use at home.
3: Yeah, that's amazing. I, I think it's it's so it's needed
4: right now for sure. There is very big demand. I mean. I cannot say it better than we have 14,000 developers that joined our community in the past 12 months. Mm-hmm. They have no consumer product to deploy this on. Mm-hmm. They've joined our community because they're excited about the prospects of a private by design voice assistant, and they're building stuff for themselves for now. Right. And this is so exciting. you know. We spend zero marketing dollar on, on developer acquisition. This is pure word of mouth. Mm-hmm. So when you have so much growth organically, you know you're onto something, right. right? I was earlier today, I was talking about this in a room. And when I explained to people we are trying to build, people applauded. I think, you know, privacy is this thing that doesn't sell, but when given a choice of two products, which are equivalent in terms of experience, one of which offers privacy, people switch. Mm-hmm. They've done it with messaging. People switch to encrypted messaging apps as soon as these become available. And this is arguably much harder because you need to move your friends as well. A voice assistant, if you want to switch, is just one button.
3: Do you think, I mean, I think that when this concept catches on, it's going to be the future and more people are going to have solutions like this. I mean, what do you think?
4: I agree. Uh, I believe that Europe is in a great position for that. Uh, I think Europe has been flexing its muscles recently. And the GDPR, you know, this new regulation around privacy is a great example of this. The GDPR is a way for Europe to force foreign companies to adopt the European way of thinking around privacy. And this is, I mean, I'm still amazed that this is actually, like, that this has passed. With all the lobbies and everything, it's crazy. And we've had examples already that show that it's expanding outside of Europe. Facebook, for example, when the GDPR came about, um, they said, we're only going to do it for Europeans. People in America got angry. They said, Why? aren't we Americans allowed the same level of privacy? Are we second-class citizens to you? And of course, what did they say? No, of course not. You're now second-class citizens. Fine, we're going to do GDPR for everybody. So American citizens now have the same level of protection as Europeans when it comes to data privacy, at least on that platform. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. That's a tectonic technical shift in terms of the thinking around data privacy, because all of a sudden, you've got everybody talking about it regulators in the U.S. are talking about it. California is considering implementing its own GDPR-like regulation. Mm -hmm. And that's great. I think, you know, we got to this point where the impact of data breach on your life is so dramatic that we cannot continue using and abusing data the way we did 20 years ago when it was insignificant.
3: But you know what I find interesting is that you've been working on this project for, what, a few years now? Yeah. And I mean it's it's like you're such an early innovator because this was even before, you know, the whole Cambridge Analytica and Facebook thing. And when people started really freaking out, like you almost, you you knew this was coming and you, you wanted to create this solution. I think that's really yeah. fascinating. I mean, I,
4: you know, <laughs> I got lucky twice. You know, the first time I got lucky is because people started paying attention to AI. And now I got lucky a second time that people started paying attention to privacy. Right. But these things are pretty obvious, right? Like when you've been in tech for a very long time, I mean, I've been to, I'm 33 now, right? So I've, I've been I've been thinking about this for a long time. I've been doing AI for 15 years and privacy for 10 years. In the beginning, when I talked about privacy, it was like, oh, you're a cute little French guy. You don't understand business, right? It was like, really like this. It was like very condescending, like, uh, you know, talks around privacy. But then now everybody's talking about it because it blew up.
3: Right.
4: And it's just very logical when you think about it. The more data you produce, the more privacy becomes an issue. Period. Like it's mathematical. Mm-hmm. And you know, we just reached this inflection point recently where now people are like too much is too much. We got to stop.
3: Yeah, of course. I mean, I agree. Um it's it's shocking what what's going on now with data and and you know, it's like I'm it's it's so crazy. It's like I'll drive past a billboard and then I'll open Facebook and Facebook will be like, they'll say like, oh, we, you know, they'll show the billboard advertisement on Facebook. It's weird. But yeah, it's crazy. It's
4: it's creepy.
3: Yeah, it's creepy. It's
4: creepy. Like, and it has been creepy for a long time and it's getting creepier and creepier. And this is what I meant earlier when I said that privacy is fundamentally not about surveillance. It's about profiling and manipulation. Mm -hmm. That's what we're fighting against. That's what we're protecting against. If, you know, if Cambridge Analytica was able to abuse your Facebook data, imagine what people do if they can listen to what's happening in your house. Mm-hmm. Oh, God, that's scary. Like, <laughs> that's the last place that you are safe. That's the last place you are safe.
3: Everyone should get rid of their Alexa right now.
4: I mean, <laughs> the, Fr- the, French, the French Privacy Authority actually recommends unplugging it when you don't use it.
3: Yeah. Wow. Well, that's definitely interesting. Do you have any final thoughts you want to share
4: with our listeners? Well, if anybody is interested in, in those topics, I'm very easy to find online. Uh, Ran Hindi on Twitter, Ran Hindi on Telegram. Uh, for someone who's very into privacy, I've actually made myself very accessible, because I think it's important that everybody who believes in this future where we feel safe with our data comes together and starts, you know, building it. And if anybody wants to contribute, I'd be happy to to work with them.
3: Right. Thank you so much.
4: Thank you very much. Thanks.
0: And here we are on the other side of the interviews, just like the corn on the cob that goes in one way and comes out the same.
2: <laughs> wow! I can't believe I just said that. Normally, those there's... kind of jokes are, are are what I bring to the bring to the table. I, I'm I'm <laughs> rubbing off on you. This
0: is not good. I, I'm I'm stepping up my corn game. <laughs> <laughs> you know
2: what's really awkward is when you're like, when did I eat corn?
0: I don't, remember. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yo, I don't know what that had nothing to do with blockchain law or, uh, or a decentralized voice assistant, but uh, there you go. There's some fresh content for you guys that we hope went down uh, in your digesting yeah, right now.
2: I just, yeah. You know, some podcasts are harder to digest than others. Mr. Jocom.
0: <laughs> Ours is smooth. It's just like <laughs> corn. <laughs> it stays intact <laughs> wow holy cow so- uh-huh. really been bad. i blame it on you you're on the other side of the world and you're all trans hemisphere
2: i know it's so so awkward good stuff don't assume my hemisphere that's true i would say this folks if you have not subscribed to bad crypto don't i mean you are <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, turn away, yeah, just I don't turn the- off the recorder, and just walk <laughs> away. Just- <laughs>
0: hashtag walk away or or maybe by now you're laughing hysterically along with us and you're like holy crap how am I not subscribed to this and wherever you are whether it's on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, iHeartRadio CastBox, SoundCloud, wherever you are please go ahead and subscribe follow us and if you want to write us a review we especially appreciate funny reviews and we doubly appreciate them if they're five-star funny reviews, because then we we like you so much we want to marry you. Yeah,
2: and you know what? And we quadruply like them if they're in poem form or freestyle rap.
0: Yeah, iambic pentameter is, is your, actually that's the what you like? That's
2: what, that's what Joe likes, but that's okay. Because
0: then we could read it in a Shakespearean tone and remind all of thy to stayeth badeth. Who's that?